welcome to Heart of Life, and happy Easter. Happy Easter. I know it's June the 13th, and so the question is, what is going on around here? Well, what's going on around here is today we finish the first half of Luke's story, which is the Gospel of Luke. And we get to the last chapter, and I don't know how else to say this, the story starts in a good place today. Jesus is alive. The grave could not keep him because death could not hold him. He disarmed the dark powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. The temple that they thought they had destroyed has rebuilt itself in three days. I'm pretty fired up today. I'm coming out swinging. I I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. It was early Sunday morning. The women brought the spices to apply to Jesus' body. They they wondered how they were going to move that stone that blocked the entrance, but how about that? The stone wasn't in the way And they no longer needed the spices. They entered the tomb and there is no body. And while they're trying to understand what has happened, we're told that the angels, with a question, set the matter straight. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The angels led with a question. So I'm going to follow their pattern and lead with a little, a little question. I, I, maybe you're asking the question today, what difference does this make? I can't think of a greater question for you to ask. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus really make? And because I believe it helps us answer that question, I'm going to ask another question that pertains to where we're at today. What does Jesus do on the day he defeats death. What, is Jesus, what difference does this whole thing make? Well, what does Jesus do on the day that he defeats death? A part of that answer is Jesus took a walk. He took a walk. And so today I'm inviting you to come with me and together let's take that I'm going to read right through the story today. We're going to start with verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Here's what it says. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now here's the story. The women get to the tomb early that that, that Sunday morning and, and the tomb is empty. The angel makes the announce that, announcement that he is risen. We're told that the women go back and they tell the 11. Judas is no longer in the picture. But it also says the 11 and all the others. Get it? In other words, there's, there's many more than just 11 who are gathered there. But they don't believe the women. Uh, Peter goes to the tomb. John goes to the tomb. They take a look inside, just like the women had said. It's, it's empty, but they still wonder what has really happened here. Two of them, 
So two of this group, all the others, two of them were told now is they're leaving Jerusalem and they're headed to Emmaus. Well, who are they? Well, we never know the name of one of them. In a few minutes, we'll get the name of one. Uh, But the fact is, even knowing the name, when it comes to these two people, we have never heard of them before. Never heard of them. And it says that they're going to Emmaus. You need to know that Emmaus was such a small, insignificant town in that day that for a long time, as in even a few years ago, archaeologists were still trying to put definites to make sure that they had actually located where Emmaus was back in the day. The reason they can't, they, they had such trouble locating is because there's just not much to the place and so there wasn't much evidence to uncover. It, it, it's like if you lived in that day and somebody said Emmaus, unless you lived in the immediate area, your response would have been, I've never heard of the place before. And think about it. <clears throat> These two, they don't even believe. I mean, they've, they've heard the news from the women through the angels, but they don't really believe. If they actually believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, they would stay in Jerusalem. That's where it all happened. That's where they would likely see him. They don't believe. Check out verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So they're walking the road and they're talking. What are they talking about? Well, uh, part of what they're talking about is what happened to Jesus' body? Like who took him? And where did they put him? I think a part of probably what they talked about because they cannot get the image out of their head is they're talking about the gruesome sight of Jesus' almost unrecognizable body, the beating, the shredding, the nailing on the cross. They just can't get that image out of their head. They talk about it. In other words, they're talking about the death of their hope. He was supposed to be the one who delivers them. And now he's dead. Verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So come on, try to imagine this story. They're walking along. And here comes Jesus like a stalker, right? I mean, doesn't it seem weird? It seems a little weird. They're walking along and all of a sudden, here's like, Jesus is in with them. Now, I don't think in that day it was probably as weird as it sounds to us today. Uh, The culture in that day was not like ours, this isolating Western culture. Uh, We're talking about a day in which people obviously took more long walks they would, they would walk longer distances, and when you're out in, the, in nowhere, it, it wasn't uncommon for people to join together and just begin to walk along together. It wasn't unusual, but this is not just someone. <laughs> this is the Son of God 
This is the one who has now been exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every name. He has just defeated sin and death and hell and the grave. And so is anybody else wondering why would Jesus make one of his first resurrection appearances away from the big city where everything happens? Why would he do that away from Jerusalem, right? Away from the place where Jesus could rent the stadium, right? So that he could hold his back to life party. Away from the place where the news outlets could follow Jesus' first back to life speech. Away from the place where he could receive his Oscar for best resurrection, right? Instead, we find him walking this little dirt road toward a place that would be difficult to even identify within a number of years for two people that we've never even heard of. And although they apparently tried to follow Jesus, they struggled to believe. That is some good news. For you and me, a people not famous, who live in a place not famous, who sometimes struggle to believe Jesus, even when he does the very things that he told us ahead of time he would do. This is good news. Jesus comes to be with us. He is God with us. And he just died and rose from the dead in order to make that possible. How good is that? I love this next part. Verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. This makes me smile. Because who are we talking about here? We are talking about none other than the author of life who knows all things. Correct? Not only does he know every action that has ever taken place, but he also knows the heart behind every action that has ever taken place. This is the one who created these two that he is now walking with. And before the foundations of the earth, he had given them an express purpose, right? We're talking about the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. He walks up to them and says, what are y'all talking about? As though he doesn't know. And it says they stood still. Because just his question that takes them deeper into what they're already thinking about, obsessed with, overwhelmed with, it, it stops them. Well, you know what I love? Apparently, Jesus stopped too. And it says that their faces are, are downcast. It just simply means they're sad. 
literally they're so overwhelmed that, that even their facial expression would reflect what, what they feel. And here's what I love. Apparently Jesus enters into that sadness with them. And they start explaining to the one who created life how life was supposed to turn out. They stood still, their faces downcast. I want you to know this today. Do you know that when the hurts of life are so severe that it stops you in your tracks? Been there? I want you to know that when the disappointments of life are so heavy that it feels like you can't catch your breath in order to even take one more step. I want you to know that when hope appears to be dead and even your countenance begins to reflect the fact that your heart feels like it has been entombed with a stone that has sealed it shut. Do you know you are not alone? And do you know that Jesus is with you? Just like these two, you may not be able to see him yet. Just like these two, you may not yet understand why you're in this situation, but I'm telling you, he is there. How many of you hearing my voice today would, would, would testify that you have known the feeling, you have known that darkness, you have known that emptiness, but you found out God's grace will track you down. Even when you weren't looking for him, he will track you down. We're about to get one of their names. Verse 18. One of them named Cleopas. Poor guy. We'll call him Cleo. All right? We'll call him Cleo. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now here's a clue for us. Just in case you think that the crucifixion of Jesus was, was just this sort of this little event that happened in the city of Jerusalem that only his followers really cared about and they were really the only ones who were, who were writing or, or, or talking about it. What, what gets said right here, it, it reflects the truth that we're talking about an entire city that felt the, the reverberations of the war that was fought at Calvary. I mean, the, the triumphal entry, the clearing of the temple, the, the mock trials, the scourge, the way of the cross, the crucifixion, it was on the lips of the entire city. And the question they ask Jesus, because they don't know it's Jesus, is are you the only one visiting who does not know? Here's what stood out to me in that question though. It's almost as like, it's almost as though they're treating the God of the universe like a guest. 
Are you the only one visiting here? And you don't know what, it's almost like they're treating the God of the universe like a guest. But then I realize, come on, we do the same thing. Telling God what needs to happen. Telling him what needs to happen with our lives. Telling him what needs to happen with our kids. Telling him what needs to happen with our careers. Telling him what needs to happen with our churches. God, are are you just not aware? God, are you the only one? that's not aware? God, are you the only one that doesn't have all the facts here and can't see what needs to really happen, God? Or are you just not paying attention? And here's, here's wow for me. Jesus listened. He listened. And he asked another question, verse 19. What things? <laughs> what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Do you catch that? They are standing before the great I am. And they refer to him as what was. Does that tell you the place of their heart? Does that, does that tell you the, the circumstances of their hope? Let's keep reading. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And Jesus is shaking his head, right? But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who, who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. Bing. Apparently, they heard that whole third day talk. Apparently, they heard Jesus when he, when he talked about the third day. The problem is they just can't see it. They can't see any hope after the moment Jesus' body is wrapped and placed in a tomb. Their hope becomes past tense, which scripturally really isn't hope. Verse 22, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. If you could like take a step back from what's happening here, how ironic is it they are telling Jesus about some people who didn't see Jesus. And now, Jesus speaks. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. I think with that one statement, Jesus gets to the heart of this whole matter of why they can't see him. The reason for their blindness regarding who Jesus is and what he came to do wasn't because they didn't believe scripture. They did. 
It wasn't because they didn't think God was the one who gave them the scripture. They did. But the reason they can't see him is because they have deceived themselves with a limited understanding of that scripture. No doubt, these, the, the teachers who, who raised these two in the, in, in the, in the schools of the synagogue and, and, and every other opportunity that these two would have had throughout their lives to sit down and hear the rabbis or the priests teach, they always would have emphasized the triumph and the glory of the Messiah. A Messiah who would step onto the scene with military power He would deliver them. He would establish a throne that is greater than David's, extending his kingdom all over the world. That is triumph and glory. But they missed the other half. Jesus said he would have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. The scriptures said it repetitively. And Jesus said it repetitively. But they blocked it out. They just refused to hear it. There was no place in their theology for a dying Messiah. And sometimes... Sometimes we can operate the same way, can't we? We love to talk about the greatness of God. I mean, come on, it's a part of our mission statement as a church. We, we declare the greatness of God. We love to talk about God's, God's glory. But as soon as it cost me to follow him, As soon as I suddenly feel like I'm not getting a fair deal here, as soon as those words begin to to leave my lips toward him, Jesus, I have followed you faithfully and this is what is happening to me. Do you realize the only reason I say that is because I have begun to develop the same perspective that these guys had, why they couldn't understand who Jesus really was. There's no place for suffering in my theology. So for these two who are walking along this road with Jesus, Jesus said, we need to take a longer walk than this. And he takes them on a long, long walk. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He says, you know, the scripture you've, you guys have read your whole life, the scriptures that you've had taught to you your entire life, he's saying that's about the Messiah. And so like, what did he tell him? I don't know exactly, but I can't imagine that he didn't go to Isaac's story, right? 
I mean, can, can, and, and so in Genesis, he's, he's saying, you know, Abraham, remember his, his, his only son, and he's to be offered as a sacrifice on the altar, which, which already, in a sense, there's a picture of, of Jesus who would be sacrificed. But in that story, a ram, at the last second, a ram is caught in the thicket, and that ram takes Isaac's place. It is a picture of Jesus who would be our substitute. Can't you hear Jesus on the road saying, Jesus is the ram at Abraham's altar? That's the picture in Genesis. And surely, he goes to, to Exodus and he picks up the, the whole imagery of the Passover lamb, right? The, the lamb that had to be without blemish and without spot. But you remember the, the, the lamb had to be sacrificed and the blood was, was placed uh, above the, the door and on the, the door post. And the angel of death would pass by that house. Can't you hear Jesus saying on the road that day, Jesus is the true Passover lamb? I wonder if he stopped in Leviticus and he said, how about the high priest? You've read about the high priest. You've seen the high priest do their job your entire lives. The high priest bridges the gap between a sinful people and a holy God. The high priest is the only one who's given access to enter the holy of holies, the very presence of God. The one who would offer a sacrifice on, on behalf of the sin of the people giving them access to God. And can you imagine Jesus unpacks this thing? He says that high priest, he's a picture of the one who was to come, the one who would be the final sacrifice once and for all for sin, making the way that whoever would trust in him could be forgiven and access to God. And you remember the story when Jesus dies uh, on, on Calvary, the, the, the veil in that temple splits from the top to the bottom. It was a message, access granted. Can't you imagine Jesus on the road to Emmaus saying in Leviticus, Jesus is the high priest. I wonder if he reminded them of the, of the cloud Right, God's people traveled out of slavery into the promised land and God provided a cloud that they could follow in the day and a pillar of fire that they could follow at night. It was to guide them, but it was a picture that, that one day God was gonna make a way that he could be with his people in, a, in, a, in a, even a more miraculous way, living in them, guiding him through the darkness. God would be their light. And I imagine Jesus saying on the road in numbers, Jesus is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. I, this has got to be like one of the most stunning lessons ever taught. I mean, imagine walking. I think this is probably one of those moments where they walk for hours and hours and hours and hours and, and it felt like seconds. Verse 28 as they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he were going a little further. That cracks me up. But they urged him strongly. That's a strong word, by the way. Stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. What's going on here? I, I, Jesus doesn't force it. It's like 
He walks with them, he shows, but, but he doesn't force it. And he gives them the opportunity to invite him. And for some of you, the exact same thing is happening today. Because the big God that we're celebrating today, I don't believe in, in accidental moments. I don't believe in just happenstance moments. I be, there is a reason that you are here. There is a reason that you are here in my voice. There is a Jesus who has been there longer than you can imagine. But the truth is, he will not force you to love him. That's not love. But he extends to you an offer that he would be with you forever, a life with him forever, forgiveness and belonging. But here's what you need to know. Jesus' presence is not meant to be an add-on in your life. Jesus' presence is not meant to be an accessory in your life. Jesus' presence is not meant to be an attachment to your life. His presence is the operating system for all of life. The invitation today is for you to let him have everything. <laughs> that's not restricting, that's freeing. And my prayer today is that, that if you have never taken that step with him, that if you have never invited him, that if you have, have never responded to who he's shown you that he is, a, a love that has tracked you down, that today you would take that step how do you do that? Well, the good news is because of what Jesus did through the cross and the resurrection, man, it's not about something you and I earn. It's, it's not about some, some hoops that we got to figure out how to be good enough to jump through. No, it's about our heart that honestly turns to Jesus, that, that you can do it right where you are seated, even, even right now before we're done here. A, a heart that just simply calls out to him, genuine, that says, Jesus I believe that you died for me and you rose again. And I want you. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I want you to be king. I want you to lead. I want to know you. I want to love you. And I'm telling you, a heart that calls, he hears. He hears. And I, I seriously, with everything that I have, I like I know Jesus would never force you. If I could, I would. I would. But he won't do that, neither can I. But if this is your day, it's like call out to him. Before you leave wherever you are today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody if you do that. Um, we're gonna there'll be some folks over here. When, when we're done today, that you could, you could talk to, you can pray with. I, we want that to be the case at, at every location today. I, if you take that step, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Look at verse 30. 
when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, a number of scholars that, I, when I was studying this text, their, their opinion, their view is that this is not necessarily what, what we would call uh, communion. This may be because sometimes the term breaking of bread is, is simply a way to describe a common meal. Um, in that day, they would often have some sort of a, a soup or, or I describe it kind of like a paste of something. Either it could be fruit, it could be vegetable, and they would, they would dip that bread in it and, and you would eat it. And so it's interesting, they invite Jesus in and he's acting like he owns the place. They, they invite him in and he, he sits down at the table and he takes the bread and, right, and he, he gave thanks and, and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And look what it says in verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? they see now you wonder like why they why they see now did Jesus just open their eyes and my answer is yes because I think every time anybody sees anything spiritual anytime any anybody sees anything of his greatness it, it has to be because God has done something to open their eyes but I'm also going to add to that that simple answer I, there's a part of me that wonders did they recognize the pattern like he took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it. If they've been following Jesus, they've seen him do this before. I mean, one time he fed thousands of people, right, with just a few loaves. The pattern is there. He takes it, he breaks it, he blesses it, he gives it. It's the same pattern. They've seen him do this. I wonder if it was the moment when he blessed it that he said, Father, because nobody else taught them to pray like that. Nobody else taught them to see God like that. But there's also a part for me that I wonder. He took the bread. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. And what they had not seen in the miles of walking they suddenly see there are scars. Why? Because he suffered for them. The glory's for real. His greatness is for real, but the road it was suffering and what they had not ever seen because they refused to see it. The scripture had painted the picture over and over again. Jesus had told them in the three and a half years, here's what's going to happen. They refused to see it and what they had refused to see, suddenly their eyes were opened. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Today, and if you are seeing who this Jesus is for the first time, my invitation 
is to invite him in to stay. But I also want to talk for a second to those of you who maybe have been following Jesus for some time. But maybe right now, with what has happened in your life, maybe it just happened, maybe it's happened years ago, but it has led you to struggle to believe. I promise you, you're not by yourself in this room. And I would bet you're not by yourself in any room that's listening to me today. Now, I'm not one of those guys that spends just a ton, a ton of time um, dealing with the numbers in the Bible. Now, hear me out, all right? I'm not talking about the book of numbers. I'm talking about numbers in the Bible, all right? Now, listen to what I'm saying. I believe with all my heart there is a significant to certain numbers in, in Hebrew thought and in teaching. It's absolutely there. Here's my scars. My scars are I grew up in church and I watched people too many times sit down in a room and everybody's arguing over a particular number and what it means and they spent all night arguing over the number and nobody walked out and their life was changed. That's my scars, so I'm admitting it to you. So I've never been one of those people that just like hangs out on the whole number thing a lot. But I believe with all my heart that Luke is intentional here when he tells us that this road to Emmaus is a seven-mile trek. And in Scripture, seven is about completion. It is. We know it from the very first chapters. God in creation, right? He creates in six days. And then he what? He rests. I got news, he did not rest because he was tired. He rest because he was done. It was complete. The wall of Jericho, they walk around it, what, seven times and then they fall. Throughout prophecy, there's just tons of sevens that you will find in in, in prophetic language and in prophetic. here's, here's Here's what I think this is about for some of us. You and I, and I'm including you, maybe it's unfair, but at least me. I have a tendency to look for God in the destination. What I mean by that is I have a tendency that I look for him at the point where he delivers me from the struggle that I'm going through. I hurt. This disappointment, this disillusionment, the thing that has happened in my life. And so I'm on this journey and I'm, I'm looking for God to deliver me. And what we are reminded in this story is that he is also found in the middle of the disappointment. He's not just found in the destination. How many times have I missed the presence of God because all I could focus on was the destination that I actually wanted? And I missed him that he was there the whole time. It's why I didn't see him. What if this whole thing is is about him being with us? It is. It is. 
as I'm walking through life, as I'm, as I'm raising my kids, and, and, and sometimes that is a struggle, and as I'm doing my work, and, and sometimes that's the struggle, he, he's with me. Come on, you've heard people say this. You've heard people talk about a miracle happening in their life, and the language that gets used is, God showed up. I want to change the language that we recognize whether or not God solves your problem immediately does not change the fact he showed up. But we're so waiting for the deliverance that sometimes we miss him in the struggle. We miss him along the road. Don't judge the journey of seven miles when some of us haven't even walked three yet. Because that journey might lead to a cross. It might lead to some confusion. It might lead to some pain. It might be costly. That's the same struggle that those followers had. And I want to extend an invitation that if that's your story, man, today before you leave, let somebody pray for you. Let somebody pray for you today. Again, there are going to be, uh, you know, some people at each place that all you have to do is say, hey, can I just tell you where I've been and would you, would you pray for me? And I promise you we will. We will. You are not alone. And in this particular case, not only is Jesus here, so are we. So what happened? Here's the end of the story, verse 33. They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. I wonder how much faster they did the seven miles back, right? Like you think they picked up the pace any, right? You think that was a better mile? You think they had a better mile time on the way back? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, because that's happened during all this time, that's happened while, as they're walking along the road. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I'm gonna just go ahead and ask the band to head back up this way if you guys would because we're going to kind of come to an ending here and we're going to celebrate a little bit but here's, here's, here's what I want you to think about there is a response for those who have actually been with Jesus you got to tell somebody you do like when you really meet Jesus like when you really see who he is, the response that we see in scripture, and here's what I'm gonna warn you, we are about to go to part two. Part two is the book of Acts, same author, Luke. He's gonna keep on writing and what we're gonna find out is, is that those who follow Jesus, you know what they must do? They gotta tell somebody, they gotta tell what they know. I, I love the fact that for a short period of time, these two people on the road to Emmaus 
are like the most informed theologians on the planet. <laughs> Isn't that cool? They, like, they know more stuff than anybody knows because Jesus just schooled them unlike anybody has ever been schooled from Moses and the prophets all the way through. He's, he's showing them what they've never seen. What's their message? Their message, gotta tell somebody, Jesus has come to us. Can I tell you, that's true today. Jesus has come to us. Their message, we weren't even looking for him and his grace tracked us down. Can I tell you, that's true today. And their message was, it has always been all about Jesus. Because in Genesis, he is the ram at Abraham's altar. And in Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. And in Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the city of our refuge. In Joshua, He's the scarlet thread out Rahab's window. In Judges, he is our judge. And in Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of everything that is broken. And in Esther, he is the Mordecai sitting faithful at the gate. In Job... He is my redeemer who ever lives. And in Psalms, he is my shepherd and I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, it's Jesus that is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, it is Jesus that is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. And in Daniel, he is the fourth man in the midst of the fiery furnace. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? That you have been in the furnace, you have been in the fire, but it was in the fire that you discovered the Son of God was with you. That is the Jesus we're talking about today. The Jesus in Hosea, who is my love. My love for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and not even in death do we part, because this one who loved me has conquered death for me, and his love is forever faithful. In Joel, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's my savior. And in Jonah, he is the foreign, the, the great foreign missionary who takes the word of God to all the world. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the original avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord, mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And you realize that is where Jesus would have stopped on that day 
on the road to Emmaus. Because that is Moses and the prophets. Oh, but we, we are allowed to shout even louder on this day. We are allowed to celebrate more on this day because that's not where it ends because that's not where Jesus is we know now that in Matthew he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, in Mark he is the miracle worker, in Luke he's the son of man and in John he is that door by which every one of us must enter, in Acts he's the shining light that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, in Romans he's our justifier, in 1 Corinthians our resurrection, in 2 Corinthians he's our sin In Galatians, he redeems us from the law. In Ephesians, he is our unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he supplies our every need. And in Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. First and second Thessalonians, he is our soon and coming king. First and second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's the blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. Come on, church. It's time to celebrate. In James, it is Jesus that heals the sick. In 1st and 2nd Peter, it is Jesus that is the chief shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it is Jesus that has the tenderness of love. In Jude, he is the Lord, coming with 10,000 saints. And in Revelation, lift up your eyes, church, because your redemption draweth nigh. He is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he's coming back. The one who loves us, the one who set us free by his blood, the one who defeated death at its own game, the one who has prepared a place for us. We will see him face to face and we will be with him forever and ever. Amen.